Hello, Alex from Scrimba here. You are listening to a recording of one of our weekly fireside chats here at Scrimba. In a nutshell, we sit around an imaginary campfire and have real conversations about learning to code and how to land your first junior developer job. We bring out the imaginary kindling every Tuesday, and while we hope you enjoy this recording, we would much prefer to see you there live, because when you attend live, you get to participate in the chat and ask us questions. To learn more about the Fireside Chat, such as how to join, what exciting topics are upcoming, and what specific time the event happens in your time zone, head to scrimba.com forward slash fireside. On behalf of myself, my wonderful co-host Leanne from Scrimba, and everybody else on the Scrimba team, and our occasional guests here in the Fireside Chat, please enjoy this episode, and remember to subscribe so that you see future episodes as well as support the show. Let's get into it. So today's topic is why most self-taught developers fail, which is quite a dreary subject. It sounds a bit daunting, perhaps. Um, But really, the main reason we're talking about this is because we want to unveil some of the common pitfalls that you might run into and suggest ways you can sidestep them or leap over them, however you want to think about it, so that you can be successful on your endeavor to becoming a hireable developer. Leanne, what can people look forward to today in terms of topics? Got loads to get through today. Ranging from the size of the tasks you take on, your environment, your laptop setup, negative self-talk. I'm great at that one. Lack of plan or roadmap. Tutorial hell. Trying to continue with boring courses. Not talking to recruiters. Not focusing on soft skills and much more. The first thing we wanted to talk about was not starting small enough and perhaps dealing with overly complicated things at the beginning that might be demotivating or just overly difficult when if you can break things down you'll have a much better chance of success. Michael that's something you and I spoke about a little bit do you care to elaborate? Yeah um, generally this is actually a pitfall that I had because before I became a developer or even before I tried to apply for a job I tried to learn how to become one probably about three three four times I started and it didn't work out so I kind of tried to do it again and again and that's Kind of like from personal experience. So, um, not saying small is kind of like when you have we have a grandiose idea of what's possible and what you want to do, and then you kind of start chipping away at it, and then you realize that all of a sudden you you think, oh, I'd love to go for a walk, and then you're like, ooh, Mount Everest sounds pretty lovely to to go on, <laughs> uh, and then you know you, you kind of start walking and uh, you know you you got your plane ticket to nepal and stuff and then you you got off and you're like well actually this mountain looks far higher than i thought it would a lot of it is due to you know you just don't know what you don't know so this is the chat where we can discuss things that you probably should know i'm not asking you not to dream big but at the same time don't set your expectations too high when you're not entirely sure what it involves what is the programming equivalent to trying to do Mount Everest from the beginning? Is it like trying to code an operating system? Is that a good one? Or build yeah. an entire social media clone or yeah, rebuild exactly. a web browser? Exactly. It's like, you know, um, for example, you start off with like, I'll oh, build a Netflix clone uh, or you watch a tutorial about build a Facebook clone. And you're like, this is nothing like Facebook. This is like just a couple of screens and uh, like, you know, I can create a user and I can delete a user. That's not Facebook. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not because Facebook is a multi, probably billion company now. 
and they have thousands of developers working day and night on it. So yeah, obviously one person who's learning how to code is never going to be able to do it. Even one person who can code would never be able to do Facebook. No way. Um, I don't know what it is about developers and even experienced ones, but we always think things are going to be a lot easier than they are. Yeah, definitely. Because most of the time, you know, everyone used online services, right? You, you've booked probably accommodation with Airbnb or Booking.com. You booked your airplane tickets through Skyscanner or something. And, uh, you know, how hard can it be? It's like a date picker and then, you know, you select the range, you look at the tickets, it's like a list, you click a button, put your card number, and that's it. How hard can it actually be? But surprisingly, every step of that journey is actually really hard to do. I remember a shock that I had when on one of the jobs I had, we decided to write our own custom date picker. I was quite shocked to Pretty much like the essence of my being realizing that, wow, actually, it's far harder than I thought it would be. But this is such a great topic to start on, I think, because when you expect something to be easy and then you end up finding it very difficult, it's quite demotivating. Um, like you feel like you weren't good enough or something. Isn't that weird? Because actually what you did was just set the wrong goalpost. Like you failed to estimate how hard it would be. It doesn't mean you're doing yeah. a bad job necessarily. Yeah, exactly. These things are just naturally hard and you have just discovered how hard they can actually be yeah it's a good opportunity to readjust yourself and go okay well uh, i have clearly underestimated the complexity and uh, well maybe i won't do that next time taha says human metacognition is seldom accurate and kenny wrote baby steps which i also like what, what do you in the chat think have you ever embarked on a project which you were hoping to complete but you basically didn't finish it because it was either taking too much time or it just proved to be more difficult than you anticipated. But yeah, like I think this is, you know, almost a segue into another reason why a lot of self-taught developers fail. It's, it's really down to like attitude, like having too high of expectations and then this kind of almost negative self-talk, which doesn't really serve you in the long run. Absolutely. Well, there's a tendency to focus on what you can't do and not what you can do and to compare yourself to other developers especially people who are on Twitter or maybe YouTube, rather than comparing yourself to you a week ago or a month ago or definitely a year ago. And if you find something difficult, it's very easy to think, I can't do it because I'm not smart enough or anything. But when you do do it, how often do you think, oh yeah, I can do it because I am smart enough. Focus on the wins is what I'm trying to say, definitely. And not 100%. so much on what you can't do. Yeah, sometimes you have to face things you can't do and that's normal, but it doesn't mean you're useless as a developer or anything like that. So yeah, accept that some things are not easy. Many things are not easy. Anything worth doing okay. isn't easy. Like if coding was easy, like if it was easy, it wouldn't be rewarded so highly, I feel like. But yeah, to, to your point, Sian, Gabe Dev wrote in the fireside chat, um, same with them in the course when someone suggests solving or filling in a block of code, they always think it's easy and then surprise themselves with how much uh, it challenges them. Writing pseudocode, says TJ, really, really helps me. Breaking it down into single steps before even attempting to code it out. Yeah, it's a good idea. 
But it's interesting what you wrote, Gabe Dev, about struggling. Um, it's another word for that would be that you find it challenging. And really it's when you're challenging yourself that you learn and grow the most. You have to face this, these challenges. You have to struggle a little bit to learn. That's just how it is. And a lot of people, they don't do that, right? They maybe watch YouTube videos and they passively consume the information, which makes them feel like they're making progress. Other times you will be following a tutorial, but because you're copying everything line by line, it's rewarding. It feels great to see the changes happen, but because you're not struggling in the way that's conducive to learning, when the time comes to build your own application, you might actually struggle. And this is possibly a really smooth segue into another reason why a lot of self-taught developers fail, which is that they get stuck in what we now call tutorial hell, which maybe Michael, you could define and talk a little bit about. Tutorial hell is uh, when you get, you know, you do one tutorial, it works out, you maybe build something from it. And then you just move on to the next one and the next one and you're kind of on this treadmill of learning and never really making anything out of it. And, you know, all the tutorials, including Scrimble ones, they're all just means to an end. And, you know, that end is you build something, you gain employment or, you, you know, you start your own company or whatever you fancy. It's like learning the tools to build something and Tutorial hell is when you just keep learning the tools just for the sake of it and you never get out of it to actually build anything with it. Personally, I never quite struggled getting out of tutorial hell because I could never wait until the tutorial ends so I can actually do something. So I would find myself like playing it at 2x or skipping the tutorial altogether and just going straight in and like tinkering with something. But also I do understand that a lot of people are a little bit more academical than me. So they kind of feel like it's important to finish if they start something. Mm. And I have no with giving up on things. It's funny because when I... Maybe you're not really giving up though. Well, yeah, exactly. Like I can just wrap up and just go, okay, let's build something. And I think that's a very good attitude to have when you're going through tutorials that it teaches you how to do the next step. It's funny because when I was like first learning to code, I, I loved following tutorials from end to end and I, I did find them valuable and I still think they're valuable. Like I'm talking about these like dev.2 tutorials where you kind of go through each section and copy it. Um, it just helped me watch the structure of a project evolve and I found that to be valuable. But, but nowadays I kind of recognize that it's not the most efficient use of time. Like it is actually okay just to download the finished code and start poking around and tinkering. Um, but yeah, maybe there is no right or wrong way in any case. It's just it depends on where you're at and, and uh, your, your preferred way of learning. But it is important to remember uh, that you will possibly risk getting stuck in tutorial hell if you don't challenge yourself to either build on top of these tutorials or at least very much understand what's happening as you copy the copy the segments over. Syrians mentioned that he got stuck in tutorial hell but hasn't experienced that since being on Scrimba, which is really cool. I think Scrimba's like pedagogy is such that we want you to not just copy things but challenge yourself to add and then give you the help you need in case you're struggling, right? And if you did it first try, that, sh that should just be a reason for celebration. Just going back to our question about people that got stuck in projects that are too complicated, Andre says, I set out to create a multiplayer augmented reality concert experience in Unity from get-go. Wow. I got wow. as far as, yeah, <laughs> one cube moving across devices with a two-second delay. Oh, that man. sounds like pretty enormous project, to be honest. 
That is a great example though, Andre. Thank you for that. I think many people can relate to wanting to be a game developer and being like, oh, here's a course on Unity on YouTube. I'm sure I can figure it out, only to realize the the enormous undertaking that it is. Tom makes an interesting point. Um, I always take on massive projects that end up taking months when I thought they would take a few weeks. It's all good in the end. I think it's good to have some ambitious things on the portfolio rather than regular mini ups and clones. I think that is an interesting point. It is good to have quite uh, involved projects on your portfolio, definitely. I think the problem arises when you don't or can't finish a project and then you're just kind of stuck because you can't move on from the fact you wanted to finish it, but you're also not finishing it. So it's kind of a balance. And it's like once you're stuck and you're like, I don't know if stubborn is a fair word to use, but this desire to finish it at all costs. Um, I like that because it's like, you know, means you're motivated and you don't give up easily. But on the other hand, when you're learning to code, it, it can almost hurt you in a sense, because if you just take a break and work on a different project, um, you know, anytime you're just stuck sitting at a problem and you're not actually making progress because you're tired and you're frustrated and maybe you just don't quite yet have the skills on which to so- with which to solve the problem, you know, just by sitting and staring at the screen, you're just tiring yourself out. Whereas having the flexibility mm. to say, okay, I'm going to put this down and pick something else up and maybe circle back to this once I've rested or learned some more in a few weeks. You know, I think that's the kind of thing you have to be okay with if you're going to be efficient in your, in your, quest to becoming a hireable developer absolutely and as alana says it's always the little things that can make you frustrated she had an issue with the font family or with fonts earlier basically and that is really true i think because the things that seem like the small issues are the things that you think oh this should be easy and it's probably not even something to do with you why it's not working but you i've been there you get frustrated because you think oh this should be something that's so simple and it's not working and it's really mm. annoying Mm-hmm. so yeah I can sympathize with that then you come back after a break and you're like oh I was missing a semicolon <laughs> or like oh I, yeah. I misspelled center I used the English spelling instead of the American spelling oh yeah, yeah that caught me out so many times <laughs> even if not even if you never get to the bottom of it I think it's better just to move on and make progress elsewhere if you really can't find a solution to it sort of like what you were saying just now Alex you have to know when to let it go Leanne if you're following a course or reading a tutorial or a book or something and maybe just to highlight to people listening we're kind of changing subject here a little bit like away from getting stuck towards say you're following a course and you're finding it uninteresting or like it's not challenging you um do you just plow through and complete it because you want to because you don't want to give up on something you started or would you put it down and maybe consider picking something else up oh i used to do that i was always the kind of person I had to finish a book once I started reading it but then it was last year I just thought why am I doing this what's the point who benefits um so I stopped doing that and if I found a book boring I would uh, just dump it and I think you should do the same with courses Pearson is the same he's got a strong conviction that if a course is boring you you need to move on because the more it bores you the more inclined you're going to be basically to give up the whole even learning to code as if you're really into the course and it's interesting then you won't give up so yeah boredom is a killer of motivation whoa 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 if someone's following a scrimba course or a part of the front-end career path and it's not working for them are you suggesting they skip ahead 
In the career path, you certainly can do that, yeah. Yeah, I agree, by the way. I I agree completely. Maybe you're bored because you already know it, or even if not, if it's not holding your interest, I think it's better to move on to a section that does. Life's too short, man. Can't be wasting time on things. And you and you have to like apply intuition as well. It's so hard though. It really is. I really sometimes think we talk and it, it sounds kind of easy to know when to give up. But if something's not working for you, maybe you sometimes do just need to push through a little bit. Like that's the discipline that helps you learn, but only up to a point, right? And if it's just, if you're not excited to move on to the next module or the next uh, segment, then it might be because it's not challenging you enough. And that's a great reason to, to move ahead. I want to catch up on the chat a little bit because i i see some people took a minute or two to write about tutorial hell plenty examples of people who have gone through tutorial hell quite a few mentioning other platforms which i won't mention their names but uh yeah they had tutorial hell and then moved to scrimba and no longer has it so (laughs) that's good i like what heran wrote about going through tutorial hell a few months ago, doing some scrimba, and then finally understood that they need to work on projects that they know are going to benefit them uh, for their day-to-day. Mm-hmm. So it could be a weather app, a scheduling, um, an airline delay app and stuff like that. That's that's really a great idea and a great hack to make your projects interesting, like solving the problems you actually have. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a problem you care about firstly, but then you get the benefit of using the app for time to come. And frankly, if you have the problem, probably your friends and your maybe your partner and so on do. So it's very rewarding to get to build and share those. That can keep you going for a long time, which is, again, just going to highlight um, per our previous point that the biggest reason, there's a few more things to go into in the time. We've got a lot of time left to discuss them, but the big reason self-taught developers fail is because they treat it like a sprint, not a marathon. And I think finding little ways of thinking about projects like Hernan described here is a great way to keep you motivated in the long run. I don't think it necessarily has to be something that is useful to you. I mean, it's great if it is, obviously, but even if it's just a topic you like, if you have an interest in, I don't know, a particular colour or animal or something like that, and try to incorporate that into your projects, and it it might not be life-changing, but if you're interested in the topic, I think it's going to help with uh, what you're building. Hmm. Taha wrote, Learners tend to associate their self-worth to their projects as there is not much to base their self-worth on. I want to highlight that part of the of the message firstly, because it's true. Like it's so hard to be objective, especially when you're learning and you're a self-taught dev. Um, so shout out to Taha for that. Um, but they went on to say, so if your project fails, which they always do, lol, we feel more vulnerable and attached from the topic. I think that's the pathway. Uh, I think that's the pathway to the tutorial hell, 100%. I think one of the most important things is consistency and schedule. Or in the context of why people fail, the lack thereof. We mentioned earlier that if you're sort of only doing it every couple of weeks or something, dipping in and out, it's going to take you an awfully long time to make any progress. Another thing Pear always says is that you should be scheduling in your coding sessions into your calendar if that works for you. Or just in your mind, but just make sure that you have a clear idea of when you're going to be coding and making sure you're fitting in enough time. And that varies from person to person how much enough time is. The point being, making a habit of coding. Maybe Michael can talk a bit about how uh, you did that when you were working in a non-tech job. To be honest, consistency is... uh... It's like my favorite topic to hop on about. I generally think that it's much better to do every day for half an hour than do once a week for 10. Just because 
consistency is one of those is one of those aspects that if you learn how to do it every day it becomes a part of your routine while if you do it like for example once once a week like on a saturday there's always something that can happen on a saturday and that means that all of a sudden that gap is now two weeks and so on and even if you do it every other day there is always something sliding in but when you do it every day it's like there is almost mental no excuse it has to fit in somewhere in the day you know 15 minutes 10 minutes even three that's fine you know if you start off with three minutes and it raises to five that's good and then it goes to 10 half an hour an hour and so on so you know you fit it around your schedule but if it's done daily monday to sunday you know uh days off well i mean maybe like if it's an important holiday or something like that then fair enough Occasionally, it's useful to have breaks, but as consistent as possible gives you this compounding effect where the breaks that you have between your coding sessions allow your mind to refresh sufficiently, and then you build on top of it, and you don't forget as much over time. So that means that you can focus for longer periods of times on problems, and it's pretty important in coding in general to be able to focus for prolonged periods of time to solve a problem. And this consistency helps you to develop that habit as well. And all of a sudden, if you start doing these things every day, if you learn how to do it every day, a lot of puzzle pieces start falling together that you're like on the wave of success. You know, like Alex, uh, I think uh, Alex had that in one of the last podcasts on Scrimbo, where it's like how to maximize your luck. And this is one of the ways that, you know, being consistent is how you maximize your exposure to how lucky you can get with things. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I've come across this stuck overflow question that actually answers my problem. Someone mentioned in the chat that it could be quite an awful feeling when you can't figure something out. And if you do something every day, you keep a particular problem in the back of your mind permanently and all of a sudden you stumble on a solution for it it's like you know you have a catalog of some problems that you have with your app that you're working with and when you stumble on a solution you know you research xyz and you find a solution to abc you're like ah brilliant and you just circle back between these issues which very hard to get if you do it like once or twice a week I'm not sure it has to be literally every day. I agree with what you're saying in principle, but I think it can be more flexible than that. I think yeah, I think Monday to Friday, for example, it needs to be more than you know once a week, certainly. But I think there's a risk of people being too hard on themselves if they don't code every day. Obviously, it fits around your schedule. You know, it's like uh, there's no need to get too fanatical about it. So mm-hmm. fit it around your profile and your personality. And also, you know, a lot of my advice is pretty, not radical, but take it metaphorically rather than literally. So if I say code every day, it's like code as often as possible rather than literally every day. Yeah, don't do it to the detriment of your family (laughs) and your friends and so on, you know. At the end of the day, it's a job, right? So you, you still have life to live around it. I can, so, I can see the dev.co posts now, like, this is how I became a developer in six months and got a divorce. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, and I also think if you have the code every day mentality and then you skip a day, you think, oh, I've kind of fallen off the bandwagon now. And it's not really like that. I spoke to James Q. Quick on the live stream a while ago, um, one of our popular Scrimba teachers, and he said he's never coded every day, but... 
what he has done is always been consistent. So, yeah. yeah, key takeaway, be consistent, whatever that means to you. You have a goal, that's great. You kind of do need a goal to score, as they say, but sometimes we fall off the bandwagon, right? Maybe your ambition was to code every day, but you feel tired or you feel unwell or perhaps other life obligations get in the way. Maybe you do just get bored for a bit. Like when I was learning to code, I certainly went, at some point I got bored, which didn't mean that I wasn't passionate or if I couldn't be a good programmer. Um, it's just kind of my personality. Like if I do something every day for months, eventually I'm going to get bored. And then I found a way to, to mix it up. But yeah, if you do set a goal and you don't quite meet it, what's the right attitude to embody that, do you think? Accept it and move on. Happens all the time. I think one reason why you might not reach that goal is because you've gone and done other things instead. I think this goes back to the idea of negative self-talk and how to avoid that if you didn't make this goal that doesn't mean all is lost just recalibrate the goal and continue on I think that's solid advice thanks i'd love to hear from the chat what is your coding schedule like and while those kind of messages roll in i'm really excited to to hear them um perhaps related to consistency and schedule is having a plan right like a roadmap of sorts what do you think about that yeah i think that having Kind of like when you're starting up with your learning career, you know, your learning path, it's very hard to know what to learn. So a lot of people kind of just Google uh, what programming language should I learn or they start trying to weigh in, you know, is Python better than JavaScript or should I learn Java? It's quite useful to be able to allow someone else to curate this content for you and say, so these things are pretty important and the other things might be not as important. So in a way, it takes both discovery, which is pretty chaotic. And on the flip side, there is a structural approach of a roadmap that you can just find, okay, I want to be a front-end developer. What do I need to know? So you always have to have this in and yang approach to you know, chaos of, uh, oh, let me just discover something. How do things work and the topics? Another flip side is obviously having a structure and approach and covering the topics as you go along. So obviously the chaotic part you can leave to yourself, uh, you know, like just scrolling Twitter sometimes for inspiration is, yeah, that'll do. Uh, but if you want, for example, structure, that's that's literally why we have created front-end career path. So there is no question what should i learn next or am i am i ready to learn react you know you started off with html css and you're like i heard react is hot am i ready and there you go it's like well if you're on module two and react is really further down the line take off the modules one by one and you'll get there you see the whole thing you see your progression just trust the road you know it's like when you get on the motorway you have to drive the miles to get to the destination is it fair to say that learning to code is very challenging in a few different ways, like aside from learning to actually build the websites? We won't talk about this too much today, but we talk about teamwork and communication skills and using Git as things. Um, but, but anyway, when you're learning to code, maybe the last piece of the puzzle is just deciding what to learn and, and feeling sure that the thing you're learning is the right thing. Like I can totally relate to that feeling where you've picked a framework like React and then someone else is telling you, oh, don't use React, there's more jobs for Angular or something. And you kind of switch between the two. Or, or maybe even for people who are even newer, you're learning vanilla JavaScript and you understand there's this concept of a front-end framework or library that you're likely use to build websites in the future, but they require a certain 
level of JavaScript knowledge to be productive with. Um, it's not often recommended that you jump into something like React or Angular without first at least understanding the basics of a programming language like JavaScript. My point being that when you go to university, you get this curriculum essentially, and therefore it's uh, it's not really something you have to worry about. You trust in your professors and your curriculum. But when you're a self-taught dev, you kind of have to build your own path. Um, the Scrimba front-end career path essentially aims to reduce that over, that that overwhelming feeling of having to decide what to do next by giving you a clear linear path from not knowing how to code to building websites independently and hopefully getting a job. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think a lot of these discussions about what technology should I learn are really, you don't need to get too caught up in them because all the developers I've spoken to have basically said the same thing, which is choose one and go with it. And if you want, probably advisable to have a look at the job specs in your area so you can at least have a reasonable idea of what they're looking for. But overall, I think there are jobs out there for every technology, apart from maybe jQuery. <laughs> In jQuery. <laughs> yeah, we love, to, we love to take cheap digs at jQuery and PHP. <laughs> <laughs> but even them, you know, there's still jobs out there with them. So it doesn't I mean, really matter hugely most what Facebook, you Most Facebook still runs on PHP. So you yeah. definitely can have you know, a fang job with PHP. Hey man, yeah. I'm not I'm not here to bash PHP or jQuery for that matter. Um, but I totally, totally get your points. Um, I think we should segue just in a minute to I wanna I wanna hear from the chat what your definition of success is because if you accept you can fail, you must also accept that you can succeed. Therefore you should know what success looks like. I'm gonna challenge the chat about that in a minute. But before we make that segue, there was another topic I wanted to make sure we talk about, which is kind of appreciating your own progress. Maybe one reason many self-taught developers fail is because they become demotivated. Um, and that might be because as you're learning to code, the progress can be quite incremental. Some days, some weeks, you'll be flying through the material and making great progress. Other times you might hit a lull for whatever reason. What are some ways people can maintain perspective and appreciate their progress as they're learning? I think one of the most important things is to keep a record of what you're learning. So I know, mm -hmm. Michael, you did this by, uh, I think you had some kind of calendar that noted down everything you learnt so you could look back on that. Other people might prefer to have a blog or a YouTube channel or whatever works for you, really. Chalk marks on the wall, maybe. <laughs> but point being, make sure you are recording it somewhere so you can look back and see your progress from the last week or month or year or yeah however long it takes <laughs> so you know you're making a difference it's like when you're trying to change your body like personal fitness and things um not everybody has to do this by any means but it's sometimes sad that you should at least take pictures of yourself to appreciate the progress you're making because when you look in the mirror every day or even the scale for that matter the the progress is so incremental uh you're not going to feel like you're making progress it might cause you to to not to not succeed um so that's kind of the health and fitness example of exactly what you're describing leanne i think um, which I which I agree with completely. Yeah. Let me just quickly catch up on the chat because I, I asked about people's schedules. I hope it's useful to you eat you all 
there's quite a variety of responses here. Um, Max wrote about programming three to five hours daily. Uh, Tom, 1977, who, I mean, Tom, you do such like, you're so active in the community of the web dev challenges and I, I have no doubt that you will succeed. You wrote that you code for several hours, maybe four or five a day, and you'll keep doing that until you get work. I'd love to catch up with you soon, Tom, and learn how you're getting on. Devendra wrote about doing two to three hours daily, but they're also in their final year of graduation. Hazel wrote about being focused on becoming a developer, so they code for two to three hours a day. Uh, Marley wrote being coding one to two hours a day, usually using the power hours, which is very good to hear. Um, they're hours that we host here at Scrimber in Discord where you can focus on a particular topic. Um, but I also know that Marley, you work, so I think it I think it must be tough to, to manage your energy. I often feel tired after work. I find it hard to imagine learning a new topic like coding on the side. But yeah, thanks for all your responses. And if and if I haven't read them, I hope other people have and they're useful to each other. We'll, we'll segue now then into looking at, you know, defining success and, and what that can mean to you. So I see some responses in the chat from Marika and Alana. I'll read those in a second. But if you haven't written in the chat yet, please let us know what does success look like to you? What does success look like when you're becoming a developer? Maybe you want to be a freelancer. Maybe you want to build a product and you'll feel successful when you can do that. I think for many people, as Marika wrote, um, success is getting a job as a developer, which I think is really cool. And of course, if your goal is to become a developer, a hireable developer, um, it's possible to, to, to fail, right? Like if you can succeed, you can fail. That's just the fact. So let's talk about ways in which you can succeed at finding a developer job. I think one big thing that stands in people's way is issues with the job search itself and not knowing necessarily how to tackle that. And there's a lot of things to remember, but also there's a lot of help available out there. So have you optimized your LinkedIn or your CV? Are you making connections if it's not possible to do that in person? lots of things online lately and things like that. And we do have quite a few portfolios, CV, LinkedIn reviews over on our YouTube channel for you to check out. And of course, here on Discord, we are basically networking, aren't we? Yeah, I suppose if your goal is to become a developer, and I, I bring this up on the podcast a lot, and I, I genuinely think it's still worth talking about, which is when you are learning to code, at some point you need to feel confident enough in your ability to start applying for jobs. And I feel as though one reason that some self-taught developers fail or rather don't find success as quickly as they otherwise could is because they wait too long until they feel quote unquote ready to apply for jobs. It's very scary to apply for jobs, especially when you feel like your chance of success is low frankly, facing these rejections might hurt your, you, you might anticipate that it will hurt your progress in the short term because it's such a blow to morale. But the big upside of applying to jobs is every time you fail, you will ideally learn why, right? If you perhaps get a message back and they say, we're not interested, you can follow up and ask them, well, you know, I really like your company. I'm always learning and improving. If I were to apply again in a few months, um, or if I were to apply to a similar job or perhaps phrase it any way you feel comfortable, what are the things I should focus on improving? You kind of take that rejection and you turn it into a learning. Um, you don't fail when you learn essentially. And in, in general, if your goal is to become a developer, you need to have a good job hunting strategy. And it's something that is spoken about 
remarkably not very much because again like having the coding ability and the communication skills is one part but you should ideally have a strategy for finding a job and this can range from the very traditional going on LinkedIn or a local job board or GitHub or Stack Overflow careers and, and filtering through jobs and applying to them in earnest um, even within that you can think about your tactics like how you describe yourself on your cover letter and in your resume and things like that that's all part of it but there is as a self-taught developer I don't honestly think you're inherently disadvantaged by not having a degree. I don't think that's true in our industry, which is very, very good because I don't have a degree personally in computer science. The, the upside there is that there are alternative ways to get your foot in the door. For example, if you see a job post, you can find the recruiter or the hiring manager and engage in a conversation via a LinkedIn request or a message. And instead of being just one name and a stack of papers, all of a sudden you're a person with an avatar and some personality as you express yourself. You can go to community meetups and offer to help and by delivering value that will come back around to you in a good way. You can learn in public and create content and collaborate with people, you know, for example, by working on a GitHub project and donate, donating your time, essentially, both to learn and contribute. There's a chance that there could be someone on that project who knows of an opportunity and will vouch for you, right? These are the kind of things that we can't go into great depth about in this session. But in general, I want to highlight that if your job hunting strategy isn't spot on, it might hurt your ability to find success quickly. And depending on your character and your determination, which honestly, I should have said this a long time ago, that if you're the kind of person to tune in to a fireside chat on a Tuesday, um, either in the evening in Europe or during the workday in America, then you're probably not the person who's vulnerable to failing. I think you should commend yourself for doing these extracurricular things. They're going to serve you very well, I hope. Um, but regardless, as I say, to get a job, you need to have a good job hunting strategy. Yeah, definitely. And uh, a way to improve your job hunting strategy is also just talk to recruiters. Go to LinkedIn, try to find some IT recruiters in your area and just drop them a message and say, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a job in the area or I, I'm learning right now, not looking, but at some point I will have a look. And uh, like, do you mind having, having a look at my CV? What do you think? And that's it. Just start off a conversation. You basically cold email people. That's okay. Some of them won't reply. Some of them will and uh, have a conversation with those that will, you know, have a have a phone chat, have a Zoom chat. Maybe if in your area coronavirus allows, you know, maybe you can chat with them for a coffee outside or something. But definitely talk to recruiters. They will help you immensely. You bring up recruiters from time to time, Michael. I've personally never really experienced a recruiter. Like I'm, I'm sure I've been reached out to here and there, but I've never really actively pursued them as a, as a way to find work. Can you talk a bit more about why it's so interesting to you and what people should know about um, reaching out to recruiters? It's kind of, you know, there is a profession whose whole job is to get someone else a job. It's kind of like if someone wants to build a website, then they come to a developer. Uh, if someone wants to get a job, uh, they, these people deal in their work life, they deal with employment. So they kind of know all the problematic areas, they know the pitfalls, it's their bread and butter. And kind of like our industry in general likes to also kind of have digs at them, uh, which some of them are justified. <laughs> uh, but oftentimes these people they try to do their best to land your job and uh, that pays their bills. So they will definitely know, you know, your CV formatting is a little bit off or maybe your CV formatting is so good uh, that actually the uh, application tracking systems can't really pass those through. 
and you're not getting opportunities just because your CV is just not optimized for these systems. Uh, so, you know, your CV might look great, but you send it into the system and no one calls you back because, you know, they don't get anything on the, on the end of it and you never show up in searches. And uh, if you befriend these recruiters, it's like a view from the inside and they basically tell you, oh yeah, that's not a super good approach or tweak here, tweak there, or even oftentimes you can just ask them, uh, I'm applying for this job. What do you think? What would you know about the company? They can tell you something. Maybe they have recruited someone into that company already. Uh, they can give you, for example, hints on interview tips. They can give you a hint on what the technical ta task would be at the company. You know, they basically give you a hand in getting a job. Why not take some help, especially if it's free? Yeah, their full-time job is to help you find a job. That's something people should write down. That's a great quote, I think. And um, I don't know, maybe in the future we could do a fireside chat on and maybe bring in a recruiter or two to discuss with us because this is something I would personally love to learn more about. And if it can help the Scrimba community, then of course we should do it. I think with the idea of waiting until you're ready to apply for something, which is kind of related, you're never going to know when you're ready, so you might as well just apply. And although it can be scary, if you're that sure you're not going to have any success, then there's nothing really to be afraid of, is there? as we'll go for it and like most things the, like at the end of the day it's not that bad like getting a rejection is not that bad like it stings it can obviously if it's a job you're excited about it really sucks but getting rejected is just kind of part of it part of life is what I mean actually so sometimes you do just have to crack on with it um, but each, each to their own I think it's important you feel confident and uh, like it's the right thing for you to do just because it would be my approach or someone else's doesn't mean it's yours necessarily what other kind of skills can people look to improve to improve their chance of either getting a call back from an application or succeeding in the interview people talk a lot about soft skills I actually saw a poll about this on Twitter recently it was um, would you rather work with someone with really rock solid code skills but poor people skills or someone with good people skills whose code skills could use some work and the vast majority went for the one with good people skills mm. i think probably because in a way it's easier to teach the code Point being don't neglect the soft skills side of things and that is something you can learn and practice and it all comes with um spending time in communities like this one maybe collaborating with people on a project and um, leveling yourself up in that way. That tweet sounds like something Bob Sorol would write. Um, it wasn't him by chance, was it? I don't think so. I no, can't but, remember. But Bob, might have been. Bob loves <laughs> that school of thought, which is that people generally want to work with people they like. And that's not exactly, but almost secondary to whether they are competent. Um, just so yeah. happens people tend to like competent people, but still it's more to do with your soft skills and your attitude and things like that. Wow. Sorry, I'm just slightly taken aback by the fact that Marika doesn't like Taylor Swift. As a, as a Swifty, I'm firmly offended. Hater's gonna hate. <laughs> no, you gotta sing it. The hater's gonna hate, hate. <laughs> okay, okay. That, and with, on that bombshell, <laughs> I think it's time that we wrap up the fireside chat um, with just a minute or two to spare. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Michael and Leanne, for coming up on the stage and sharing your knowledge. Um, but also thank you to everybody in the audience for tuning in and sharing your thoughts with us and the rest of the audience, as well as your questions, which help us keep the chat going and interesting. Um, so yeah, what, what should people consider doing next, Leanne? They should consider heading over to the newly revamped Scrimba YouTube. I have sorted things into colours. <laughs> oh, you're talking yes. about playlists, is that? Yeah. 
on the front page of the YouTube channel, we now have a, a whole section of expert interviews with career tips, code help, and inspiring stories for you to check out. You can also see uh, Michael and I live coding and the weekly web dev show for some inspiring weekly web dev challenge solutions. Oh man, this looks awesome. Why well, we've got a, did you go back and update the thumbnails for some of these? Like I see a welcome to Scrimba video with like, a, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is so good. Like, I'm in the process of doing them. Wow. Great, okay. great stuff. And uh, yeah, thanks again, everybody. Hopefully we'll see you next week. Until then. Bye-bye. Yeah, see you.